passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. It's probably being a little dishonest to say over the past few months we've been going through Genesis. It's more like for the past year we've been going through the book of Genesis. But over the last few months, we've been focusing on one character in specific, specific, and that is Jacob. And as we've been walking with Jacob, we've seen a lot of ups, and we've seen a whole lot more downs. And this morning, we come to an end to this part of Jacob's story in Genesis. And after today, we'll, we'll see the story transition to focus on his children, specifically on his son, Joseph. As we stand here at the end of this narrative, focusing on Jacob, there's a question that we have to ask. That question is this, is there anyone who is too far gone for God's grace? Is there anyone who is too far gone for God's grace? Knowing what we've looked at, especially last week, looking at the life of Jacob, we might be inclined to say, well, maybe. After all, Jacob is a man who is known for his deceit. He's known for lying to his brother, for stealing stealing the equivalent of millions of dollars from his brother. This is a man who cheated his father-in-law in order to get even with him. This is a man who lied to his brother when he had finally been reconciled with him. This is a man who, instead of following God back to Bethel, instead decided to dwell where he could continue to gather wealth. And then when his daughter was raped, he did nothing. When his sons committed genocide in response, he did Nothing. In fact, Genesis 34 ends in just this uh, way that leaves a bad taste in your mouth because it tells us that Jacob's only concern after all that happens in Genesis 34 is not what has happened, not offending a holy God, but his concern is his own skin. He's afraid that vengeance will be on the mind of the Canaanites, that they will come and bring justice upon his family for what they did to the people of Shechem. What we noticed last week as we we started in Genesis 33 is we saw for about 10 years, right after the highest moment in Jacob's life, Jacob just turned his back on God. Right after wrestling with God in Genesis 32, right after being reconciled to his brother, this beautiful picture of grace, Jacob turns his back on God, goes his own way, does what he wants instead of what God is calling him to do. You see, not only was Jacob far from God, but he really didn't even care that he was far from God. He was stubborn, he had a hard heart, and he wanted nothing to do with God and with God's calling on his life. And that's what we pick up with in Genesis chapter 35. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to Genesis 35. And what we're going to see in this passage this morning is how God breaks down the barriers. God softens 
his heart. This question that I, that I mentioned just a few moments ago, is anyone too far gone for God's grace, will be answered in the life of Jacob as we see confidently no. No one is too far gone for God's grace. It doesn't matter if you are stacked with guilt over what you've done and you don't think that God will allow you to return. It doesn't matter if you don't want anything to do with God, that you are stubbornly, resolutely choosing your own path even after submitting to Christ. No one is too far gone for God and his grace. As we approach God's word, let's pray once more. Father, it is a privilege to open your word and to look at the life of Jacob. And I confess so often that I am Jacob. That after moments of great fellowship and communion with you, that I can turn my back. That I can go my own way. I can become calloused to the calling of your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, as we approach this text, as we approach your word, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would soften our hearts, and that you would make us more and more into the image of your Son. Give us grace, God, as we approach this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please follow along as I read aloud, starting in verse 1. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who are with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror uh, terror from God fell upon the cities that were among them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because the, there God had revealed, him, real, revealed himself to him when he had fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak near uh, below Bethel. So he called its name Alon Bakuth. Genesis 35 opens with Jacob being afraid of retribution. After all of the things that have happened in Genesis chapter 34, Jacob is afraid of what is going to happen to him in response. But even more important to notice than just that is the fact that Jacob still has not stirred out of his backsliding. This is a man who is still complacent. He has stopped caring about God a long time ago, and for some reason he has no intentions of softening his heart at this moment. Jacob is a poor, pitiful person here at the beginning of Genesis 35. And it's not until God graciously intervenes that something happens. It's not until God speaks 
in the very beginning of Genesis 35 that Jacob uh, responds and is wakened out of his slumber. And I think that when he speaks to Jacob, it's not just what he says, but it's also God's tone here that stirs Jacob to action. It's almost as if God's words are conveying to Jacob, enough is enough. You've been ignoring me for 10 long years. You've been ignoring the vows that you made to me when you were at Bethel 30 years ago. You told me that you would follow me back to Bethel. Do it now. Enough is enough. God's voice stirs action. Another way of putting that is that God's word stirs action out of Jacob. And if we just take a moment, I think the same thing is true for us as well. God's word stirs action in our own lives. There is a direct correlation between the softness, the malleability of your hearts and the frequency of your communion with God. There is a direct correlation there. If you are straying from God, if you find yourself complacent, distant from God, that you're not really concerned with God, you're not really concerned with obedience to God, 99 times out of 100, you can diagnose their problem with just one question. How often have I been in fellowship with God? How often have I been fellowshipping with God through prayer? through reading his word, through communing with the saints. Perhaps you find yourself in that place right now. Perhaps you find yourself where you are complacent, that you are relying on your past spiritual successes, whatever that means, and now you are coasting today. Your heart has been hardened over time, and your once vibrant faith now seems like it is on life support. If that is you, do what Jacob does. Do what Jacob does. Submit to his voice. Wake up. Stop living a half-life. Wake up. Get on your knees. This is not a game. Submit yourself to the word of God. And the way that we do that is honestly easier than the way that Jacob had to. For Jacob, he had to wait for God to speak to him. And for us, God has indeed already spoken to us in his word and through his son. And so if you find yourself far from God, if you find yourself like Jacob here in Genesis 35, the beginning of Genesis 30, uh, excuse me, at the beginning of Genesis 35 and like he was in Genesis 34, the remedy is to be like Jacob in Genesis 32 to wrestle with God, to fellowship with God, to not let God go, to return to him and to wake up. And friends, the good news is that's exactly what Jacob does here in Genesis 35. He hears the voice of God. He hears this conviction from the Holy Spirit that cuts through his heart down to his core. And that spurs him on to action. 
And so he gathers his family together and he calls them all to purify themselves. And as we see the actions in response to God's word here, we realize that the situation is far worse than we thought when we were reading Genesis 33 and Genesis 34. No wonder Genesis 34 happens. No wonder that he has no desire to follow God. It's because he's been living a lie. They haven't been worshiping the true God. They've been too busy being slaves to false gods and to idols and to little images like the ones that Rachel stole from her father. They've been enslaved to all these false gods. And I think the same thing, again, can be true for us when we are backsliding as well. We can only serve one God. So ask, are you serving God, the Father of Jesus? Or are you serving the gods that you have formed in your own life? The images, the idols that you have built up in your own life. For Jacob and his family, they had to get rid of those idols. They had to get rid of these false gods before they were allowed to enter into the promised land and to worship God at Bethel, which means house of God. And for them, it was relatively easy to identify what those were. After all, they had false gods and they had idols with them. For us, it can be a lot more difficult to identify what those idols are. Only taking the time, identifying and examining your heart will help you to see what it is that you truly worship. And whatever it is that you worship besides God, Genesis 35 tells us what we are to do with them. We are to bury them. We are to dig a grave, throw them in it, toss dirt on them, defile them, do whatever drastic steps we need to in order to get rid of our false worship, to dethrone these false gods in our lives. After all, what more tangibly expresses that something is not a god than throwing dirt on it? What kind of god can't protect itself from being buried alive? And so Jacob and his family do just that. They repent of their worship of false gods as they prepare to bend their knees to the true God, the one and only God. But notice that they don't just stop there. They dress themselves in new clothes. This is a tangible way of expressing their new commitment to God. It's a tangible way of expressing the change that happened within their own hearts. You see, it's not just good enough to get rid of our false gods. We also have to replace them. We have to replace our worship of idols with the worship of something else. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, puts it this way. He says this, The only way to free ourselves from the destructive influence of counterfeit gods is to turn back to the true one, the living God who revealed himself both at Mount Sinai and on the cross is the only Lord who, if you find him, can truly fulfill you and if you fail him, can truly forgive you. And so that's exactly what Jacob and his family do. They replace their worship of these false gods with the worship of the one true God when they get to Bethel. And these new clothes symbolize their new commitment to God. And I want to just take a moment here and just pause 
as we're looking at this passage to see what it means for us to repent out of our backsliding. If you find yourself complacent, you find yourself not really caring about obedience to God, Genesis 35 really gives us a good template on what it means for us to repent in order for us to restore ourselves to God. First notice what happens here. Repentance is a response to God's voice. Repentance is a response to God's voice. The sad truth is Jacob probably would have never made it to Bethel. Never would have set foot outside of Shechem if it wasn't for God intervening in his life. It took God speaking to him to stir him out of his complacency. And the same is true in our lives as well. If you are complacent, if you are backsliding, you will not repent until you hear God's voice. It just won't happen. If you're not listening to God then your heart won't become a heart of flesh once more. There's nothing else that will wake you up from your slumber. Repentance is a response to God's voice. Second, repentance means that we bury our idols. Repentance means that we bury our idols. When we commit ourselves to following God, when we turn our backs on the complacency of our lives, we then must follow through by tearing down the false images that we worship, turning our backs on them, doing whatever we need to to get them out of our lives. It can be things that have drawn us away from God, and we can't fully return to God until we have taken care of them first. Repentance means we bury our idols. And the third thing about repentance out of complacency is this. Repentance replaces false worship with true worship. Replaces false worship with true worship. If we do step one, if we respond to God's voice, if we do step two, if we bury our idols, but we do not do step three, turn our worship to the one and only God, then we will fall back into complacency. We will fall back into idolatry. We must replace the false worship of our lives with true worship. We must retrain our hearts to worship the one and only true God. To love God more than the things of this world. How do we respond and how do we repent out of complacency? With three words. We respond we bury, and we replace. And that's exactly what Jacob and his family do here. And notice how God responds, picking up in verse 9. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring as well. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. What we see here 
in Genesis, uh, in these verses here in Genesis 35, is how God responds to Jacob. And notice that he responds to Jacob with a reaffirmation of the covenant. He responds by telling him of the covenant between his family and with God. It's the clearest declaration of this promise yet. In fact, if you took some time and if you looked at his promise to Abraham in Genesis 17, the clearest description of the promise to Abraham, and you look here in Genesis 35, you'll notice a number of parallels. The language is virtually identical to his promise in Genesis chapter 17. The message here is clear. God is faithful. He has been with Jacob. He is with Jacob. He will continue to be with Jacob. And he will be with Jacob's offspring forever. God's commitment to Jacob God's commitment to his family has never been thwarted by their sin. doesn't matter what they have done, especially after Genesis chapter 34. It doesn't matter what they have done. And friends, that's incredibly good news. That's incredibly good news. The tragic danger of hearing the gospel over and over and over again is that it can become stale, that it won't stir our hearts But the gospel declares to us that no matter how many times we turn our backs on God, no matter how severe our sin is, no matter how deep the rejection of God, God is faithful. God is faithful to his people. God is faithful to his promise. God is committed to his plan to bring salvation to humanity. And that's what we see here in Genesis chapter 35 as he responds to Jacob at Bethel. He says, Jacob, it doesn't matter what you have done. I'm going to continue to walk with you. I'm going to continue to bless you because I have a plan that will not be thwarted by your sin. Friends, God has a plan that will not be thwarted by your sin as well. It's a plan to redeem you, to make you his children to make you a part of his family. How should we respond to this good news? Well, Jacob shows us here. He shows how we should respond to this incredible, unconditional love, to this unmerited grace, this faithfulness of God. And the only way that he knows how, he responds in worship. You see, 30 years ago in Genesis chapter 28, as Jacob was leaving the promised land, Jacob encountered God at Bethel. And there at Bethel this first time, 30 years earlier, when he encountered God, he said, you know what, God, if you continue to keep your promises to me, if you continue to be with me, if you continue to be faithful to me, then I will return here and I will worship you and I will make offerings to you and you will be my God. And over the next 30 years of Jacob's life, in Genesis 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, for those next 30 years, Jacob's life is filled with ups, but it's mostly filled with downs. Jacob is a man who continues to be selfish. He continues to only think of himself. He continues to seek after wealth above all else. But when he finds out that God has been with him through it all, That God has kept his promises through it all. 
Jacob worships God. You see, that's the beautiful thing about Genesis chapter 35. This is Jacob, the idolater. This is Jacob, the deceiver. Jacob, the greedy one. Jacob, the deceitful one, the selfish one. He sees God's love and he responds with worship. So what about you? How will you respond to God's love? You, the one who is consumed with doubts and anxiety. You, the one who is more concerned with fitting in instead of being faithful. You, the one who is consumed with a lust addiction, the one who loves the world. How will you respond to the love of God? Genesis 35 shows us to respond like Jacob, to respond in worship, to respond devoted to God. But as we close Genesis chapter 35, we would be naive to assume that it's a happy ever, happily ever after story for Jacob. Indeed, when we become Christians, we would be fooling ourselves if we said that everything becomes perfect the moment we are fully obedient to God. The moment that we are following God in the center of his will, that we think that everything will now be okay. Genesis chapter 35, as much as it shows us and emphasizes Jacob's faithfulness in response to the faithfulness of God, makes clear to us that as long as we are living in between Adam and the second return of Christ, that we will be facing sin. It will be a part of our lives. We will be affected by it and its consequences. Take a look at the rest of this chapter, picking up in verse 16. Then they journeyed from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor. And she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni, for his father, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Ader. While Israel lived in the land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. The sons of Leah... Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan and Naphtali, the sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Paddan Aram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died and was gathered to his people, old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. You see these verses, they might sound like they are just kind of scatter shot. There's a lot going on here that's not really all that connected. And if we ask ourselves, how are these verses connected? How do they tie in to the story of Jacob? Are they just an, uh, like an epilogue? The afterthought to the rest of the story, they remind us of just how tragic sin can be. 
The reality is that we will be faced with death in this life. In verse 8, which we had read earlier, Jacob is faced with the death of Deborah, the last tie to his beloved mother. In verses 16 through 21, he faces the death of his beloved wife, Rachel, even in the midst of the joy of childbirth. At the end of the chapter, he encounters his father Isaac one final time before he also passes away. Until Christ returns, death is inescapable. Death is our constant companion as we study the book of Genesis. Over and over and over again, we see repetition of death. What is Genesis trying to teach us? Well, it's trying to remind us of sin. It's trying to remind us of the effects of sin, how we live in a broken world. And for Jacob, no matter how faithful he is to God, no matter how hard he tries to be obedient, death is a part of life. But it's not only that. Jacob also experiences the consequences of his sin as well. As we have studied Jacob's life, we have seen from the moment he became a father, he played favoritism with his children. He loved his son Joseph, that was the firstborn of his beloved wife, Rachel. And he despised his other children. This is probably why he did nothing in response to the defilement of his daughter, Dinah. It's because she wasn't a daughter of Rachel. All of us are aware of the story of Joseph and his brothers that we're going to get to in just a a few short weeks. How his brothers attempt to kill Joseph out of jealousy because of his father's love for him. All of that is because of Jacob. Jacob is a man who plays favorites with his children. Now here in Genesis chapter 35, this actually leads to the actions of his firstborn, Reuben. Reuben does the unspeakable. He lies with his stepmom. But this is more than just a moment of lust. This is more than just an act of passion. This is actually a political power move. In ancient times, it was very common for someone to lie with a concubine... as a a way of uh, stating your authority, of consolidating power uh, as a response to a successor. This is what we see in 2 Samuel and in 1 Kings with David's sons, Absalom, and more. Yes, this action is morally abhorrent. Yes, Reuben will be held responsible for what he has done. But ultimately, this is Jacob's fault. Reuben was a man who felt threatened that his status as the firstborn would be taken away because his father played favorites. And so he decided, just like his dad did time and time and time again, he decided to take matters into his own hands to secure his future. Yes, Reuben is responsible, but it finds its roots in Jacob's sin as well. Even the list, the description here of Jacob's sons, it's not in birth order. It's instead described and divided up by who their mothers were. It just emphasizes the divisions in this family. 
Jacob may have devoted himself to God, yes, but he was still going to face the consequences of his sin. And the same is true for us as well. We will continue to be affected by the sin of those who are around us. We will continue to be affected by the consequences of our sin, whether as Christians or in the past. That's just a part of living in a broken world. As we look at Genesis chapter 35, as we close the the chapter on Jacob's life, we are reminded of one key truth. In the midst of pain, in the midst of consequences from sin, in the midst of death, this passage reminds us that God always calls his children home. God always calls his children home. It doesn't matter how long you have strayed. It doesn't matter how far you have strayed. For those who are God's children, God will always call them home. He will not give up. He will bring them back. Just like he did with Jacob. And so if you find yourself straying from God, if you find yourself complacent, repent. This passage declares, repent, rid yourself of your idols, return to worship the one true God and to worship him alone. Return to Bethel, the house of God. Repent. Indeed, that's kind of what Jacob's life is all about. If you were to take a snapshot of Jacob's life, the complexities of Jacob's life, Just when you think you have him figured out, he does the complete opposite and gives us a twist. As we study this man, we have to ask, what are we to make of Jacob? What are we to make of this man's ups and downs? I think they highlight God's faithfulness no matter what. No matter what Jacob does, God is faithful. And I think the same thing is true for us as well. You see, we may never sink to the same levels of depravity as Jacob. We may never do nothing after our daughter is raped. We may never do nothing after our sons commit genocide. We may never steal the equivalent of millions of dollars from a family member. But we probably don't ascend to the same heights as Jacob does either. We probably never will wrestle with God and not let him go as an extreme display of faith and obedience like in Genesis chapter 32. For Jacob, the mountains are higher and the valleys are far lower, but they are there. And the same is true for us. We have mountains, we have valleys, and God is gracious through it all. God is gracious through it all. As we close, I want to draw our attention to Psalm 24. There are a number of parallels between Psalm 24 and Genesis chapter 35. In fact, some people believe that David was actually studying Genesis 35 when he wrote Psalm 24. Psalm 24 is a psalm about how do we approach God? Who is worthy to approach God? 
And Jacob, excuse me, as David is wrestling through this question about who is worthy to ascend, to worship God, he concludes this. He says, those who have purified themselves, just like Jacob and his family. Those who have clean hearts or clean hands and have purified their hearts, who have repented of their sin, who do not devote their souls to another, just like Jacob here. In a moment, we're going to partake in communion. Communion is a response to God. It is a question that we have to ask of who is able to approach this table. Who is able to approach God and worship him through communion. We'll talk about that just here in a few moments. But just like Jacob had to purify his heart to approach God we also must make sure that we are clean. We are pure in God's sight as we approach his table. Please hear these words from, uh, from Psalm chapter 24. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has established it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He was clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. As we approach God's table, as we approach the God of Jacob, we do so not on our own efforts but solely by the grace of God. If you think that you have gone too far for God to forgive you, this text reminds us that that is never the case. Like Jacob, we must repent. Like Jacob, we must return. Like Jacob, we must worship. Let's pray. Father, as we approach communion, As we approach your table, I ask that you would help us to do so with a pure heart. That we would do so in a way that is honoring to you. God, I ask that you would help us to remember your sacrifice for us on the cross. Help us to examine our hearts to find the idols that we do indeed need to cast down. And God, that you would help us to worship you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.